0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I've been sort of uh, taken with this visual that I keep on going back to. So so let's, let's start there. So I, I don't know if you've been to wine stores before or liquor stores or things like that but you know they they always have different price ranges and you kind of look at a bottle and it's sort of like well that's a it's a pretty nice bottle and you know that's a thirty dollar range that's that's definitely like above average that's about what i can afford right now and then your eye sort of like wanders and you see two hundred dollars and you go wow i wouldn't i know that thirty dollar bottle wine is pretty good that What's that $200 wine tasting like? You know, like, I want to know what that tastes like, right? So, so now imagine someone comes to your house with that bottle of wine, the $200 bottle of wine, and says, listen, it just I want to share this with you and everything like that. And they, they open it up, and it's like glug, 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 glug. They're pouring you the f- full glass of this, like, very, very expensive wine. And then all of a sudden you notice there's a hole on the bottom of the cup and all the wine is just spilled into the floor, right? You can't, you, and you, you got like, What? how much of it did you get? Like. You see, so that's us, that's us. We we, we can't be that cup with the big hole in it. Meaning to say that all of us are, are vessels, but there's shefa, there's light, there's blessing coming down from heaven all the time. And we have to, we have to construct ourselves. We we have to live with a level of coherence, so that we can be um, what we would say in Hebrew, meaning that uh, being w- with completeness, so that we can be a, a full vessel that can actually hold that wine, hold that hold those blessings and things like that. So, the, the problem is, is that. Part of the human condition is that we've got a soul and we've got a body, and oftentimes they're at war with each other. The idea is the 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 the, the, the sort of the, the perfect relationship between body and soul, between heart and mind, is that they should be best friends. Um, remember, the body without a soul is just like a, a lump of like matter, right? It does, it can't can't do anything. And let's say a soul wants to do good things. It say it wants to give charity, but it can't it doesn't have a hand to reach out to an impoverished person. So it needs the body. So the body needs the soul in order for it to be animated, for for in order for it to be functional, and the soul needs the body in order to have sort of the exoskeleton if you will, the the tools in order to be able to participate in this dimension that we 'll just call the world okay so so ideally they 're best friends so that 's a that 's a model of a level of coherence, body and soul being aligned with each other so that you can so that you can hold blessing that each isn 't trying to undermine each other so let's let 's go deeper now let 's go deeper and i 'm drawing now from from uh from Rabsada Kokoin and one of the great Hasidic masters who lived at the end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, one of the great geniuses of, of Torah. And uh, when I read these words I I I sort of was so moved because not only did I feel the truth of them, but I I thought back on my own life and I thought, wow, this is something that I've actually done. So I always say, you know, like if you read cookbooks, certain cookbooks, they, they say, these are only, um, I only give you kitchen tested recipes, right? <laughs> Meaning to say that these are things I've made myself and they work. I'm telling you, they work. So I only try to give you over ideas, or I should say, I only give you ideas in, in these talks that I have done myself, that I've worked on myself, and that I've seen the truth of them in, in my own life. So otherwise, I, I would not feel responsible sharing them. So this is something that I've seen in my own life, and 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 it's getting it's getting deeper now because what we're addressing is, and I don't I'm going to use a term like a very sort of bit of a shocking term, but I don't mean it in the clinical sense, not in the psychiatric sense, but I mean it in more in the thematic sense, which is schizophrenia. We we have a level of schizophrenia with the way we relate to God, which is, and I'll, I'll lay it out very simply, which is that. When I'm doing God's will, or what I perceive to be God's will, God exists. And when I'm not doing God's will, there is no God. Like, Can I ask you a question? Where did God go? <laughs> it's, it's great that we've decided that he's no longer there when it's not convenient for us, but where did he go? He didn't go anywhere. That's the problem. That's what we're going to address right now. So we have certain... Let's call them coping me- mechanisms, coping mechanisms. And by the way, coping mechanisms are very important. We need coping mechanisms. But there are positive coping mechanisms and there are negative coping mechanisms. Schizophrenia is a negative, in the, in the, in the way that I'm talking about it, is a negative um, coping mechanism. In other words, it's not ultimately a very healthy way to advance your relationship and live in reality. Because remember, again, from Reb he says, what what was the one thing, we can boil it down into one sentence, it's so amazing, we can boil it down to one sentence, everything that's wrong in the world, everything that's wrong in the world, what happened in the Garden of Eden when we ate from the Tree of Knowledge? What was the damage that it did? Right? And he, he puts it so simply, after that time, we thought, That there's a place where God isn't. After that time, we thought that there was a place where God isn't. So I'll use another term, which is to compartmentalize. Right? People compartmentalize, which means that, you know, um, I'm religious when I'm with religious people, and when I'm not with religious people, you know, I'm not religious because I'm compartmentalizing right but then again the question remains where did God go? right I mean if a person wants to be real, if you want to live in truth and I'm saying I'm talking about someone who already feels in their heart that there's such a thing as God right the definition of God is that he's absolutely everywhere. so if you're if you're getting to that point where you're accepting that fundamental premise, then you have to start to think deeply and logically what it is that you yourself think, right? You see, that's a, that's a bit of a problem, especially today, especially with the sort of the collapse of the um, kind of like the, uh, the, the, the infrastructure of this mentality in, in today's society where you don't hear these ideas discussed. So everyone is sort of like intuitively more or less arriving at them on their own, but they're not benefiting from the thousands of years of genius and depth that have gone into the explication of these ideas and the implications of these ideas right so it's just sort of like well where does this idea lead what what what, what does this mean exactly okay so so rhapsodic suggests, and we have to we have to be mature because he's really he's really speaking at the highest level right now. So we have to take these ideas very very seriously, right? We're going into like the like the nuclear fusion chamber right now when we, we're discussing things like this. So these are these are sensitive these are sensitive areas. So we have to take them very very seriously. So so what he suggests is a strategy, if you will, right? My words. For the end of compartmentalization. For the end of what I was calling schizophrenia. For the end of having this hole on the bottom of your cup. Right? And what is this idea? Very, very interesting idea. And this is, again, when I read this, I remembered, wow, I I did this, I did this. So it's, it's to be in a relationship with God at all times, even when you're doing the wrong thing. Now that's, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what that means, because that's that's deep, that's deep, okay? It means that, that when, let's say I know that there's a certain behavior, whatever it is, I'm not talking about anything specific right now. Everyone can fill in the blank, right? When you enter into the realm of a beh- behavior, that you know is contrary to what you've learned the the Torah says or something like that. Then instead of snapping into that coping mechanism, right, where you decide that now I'm in the God-free zone. Oh, it's nice. I'm going to stretch my legs. (laughs) It feels good. (laughs) What's on the menu? You know, it's sort of like instead of Instead of doing that, instead of doing that, which is, as we said, not living in reality because where did God go, right? Saying, okay, God, I'm going to be with you right now even in my wrongdoing. And I'm going to continue this relationship with you now. And and God, I don't have the strength to do to do what I feel is the right thing yet. I, I, in other words, bring Hashem with you into this realm of your life and say, please God I, I, I want to be able to not do this, or whatever it is. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I want to be there. Help me to get to that place where I, I can be there. And 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 that is a very major paradigm shift in terms of in terms of bringing the heart and the mind, the body and the soul together. And then you have to say, "Okay, so so what? So then you then you then you take it a small step at a time, right? Like Some people might be able to go cold turkey, but the truth is is that if you could go, if you could have gone cold turkey on that, you probably would have gone cold turkey on it a long time ago, right? So the very fact that you haven't gone cold turkey on it means that you, for whatever reason, we don't have the strength in that particular area. So then what you try to do is, you try to break it down into very, very small steps. So for instance, um, you know, there are people who say, you know, it's it's very important not to be backstabbing each other and, and saying bad things about each other. L- and har, right? We want to really refine our speech. So there's some people who, it's a major weakness. They're they're great people. They can't control their tongues. They can't. They, they're they're out of control. So so they say about they say as a bit of advice. They say, pick a time during the day. An hour during the day where you're going to say, "I'm not speaking lashon hara," during that hour of the day, right? Make it the same hour of the day. Make it a fixed kind of thing. So that's 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 one bit of thing, right? Or say, you know, something, I can't, I can't not text on Shabbos. It's very very hard for me. Okay, so you know what? So maybe Friday night don't text, right? Or or. Anyway, you can apply that type of standard to any area of difficulty that you're having. And by the way, I'll tell you an etzim from the... I believe it's from the Chazanish. Maybe it's from the Chof, it's Chaim. I'm not sure. But I heard it many years ago, and, and it's, it's, it's one of these things that seems counterintuitive. And I, I'll tell you what it is. He says if you're having difficulty with a particular area, a particular mitzvah, what you should do is learn the halachas, learn the actual laws of that particular thing. And the reason why I say that it's counterintuitive is because it's sort of like, you know, it would seem like if I'm having trouble with the mitzvah itself, don't teach me the laws of it. It's sort of like, (laughs) ah! You know, my my father, who was a psychologist, uh, Allah Shalom, should rest in peace, he used to tell a joke about someone who had a an irrational fear, a young boy, an irrational fear of kreplach, right? So what, what's, what's, what's kreplach? It's like, you know, it's, it's a Jewish wonton, basically, right? It's like, like almost every culture has their version of, of kreplach or wontons, right? So it's like a little bit of meat and then you've got some dough around it and that's what it is. So the, the psychologist tells the mother, you know what, you have, to, you have to demystify it, okay? So take your child shopping, let him see the ingredients that go into <laughs> Right? So she takes some shopping and she says, look, see, I'm re- reaching for the flour, is that OK? And he's like, yeah, that's good. And here's the meat. Here, we can going to buy some meat now, is that OK? Yeah, that's OK. And she does the various ingredients. Then she gets into the kitchen and she rolls out the dough. She's got a little square of dough out. She puts the meat in the middle, is that OK? Everything's good. She folds one corner, another corner, a third corner, everything's okay. Then she folds the fourth corner and he goes, Kreplock! <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the idea is that there are, certain, there are certain fears that are just irrational. They're irrational, okay? But <laughs> not every fear is irrational. And in fact, it's funny because this Kreplach story, which is a very old story, it's a very old joke. Now, this is the vogue in psychiatric circles right now. And they've got a nice fancy name for it. It's called exposure therapy. That's true. This is true. Where you introduce someone and you demystify the fear. Right? So, so, so this is psychologically, modern psychology is, is very much endorsing this. And of course, this is you know, consistent with what our sages are saying. That if you actually learn the halakhas... Learning the halachas of a mitzvah that you have like this kind of visceral, kind of instinctual, kind of like aversion to, is like going shopping to, for krepluch, <laughs> You know, it's like hopefully with a happier result at the end. But but I'll tell you what it is really. Let's 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 explain it better. The thing is, is that we have a certain emotionality, and we're going to talk about more about emotions uh, in a bit, Godwin. But um, we have a certain emotionality, and, and by that I also mean an irrationality, um, although the two don't, don't, don't necessarily go together. And, and when we, we sometimes imagine that a certain activity, right, like wearing tzitzis or keeping Shabbos or something like this, carries with it so much more baggage than it actually carries. And so we project on, on this sort of like dark spot because we're not doing it and then we've got that, you know, compartmentalization going on within ourselves and that creates friction and tension within ourselves and things like that. So, so that sometimes when you learn the halakhas, you go, oh, you mean it's just this? And it's just that? And you're, you're amazed to see that it is not as complicated as you feared it was. So that, that's why it's a really good thing. That's why it's a really good thing. And then those things that you go, okay, well, I can do that part, I can do that part. It's also a breakdown of steps that you can take. That one, not ready for yet. That one, not ready for that. That one, I don't know if I'm ever going to be ready for. But at least you begin to break things down. So that's, again, let's go back to what the, the headline is. The idea of of, of trying to avoid the following mindset, which is that when I'm doing good, or what I perceive to be good, God is there, and then when I'm not doing good, then I'm in the God-free zone, and, and God doesn't exist anymore. And remember, what does that go against? The very premise of God. Because if you accept God, then of course God is everywhere. And there's no place where he isn't. Okay, so so again, Reb counsels that when we go into those areas in our life where we feel as though we're not doing the right thing, instead of sort of like playing tricks on ourselves and playing games really, that we bring God into that relationship as well and we say, okay, let me try to let me try to make some progress, right? Or I'm not ready for it yet. Or bring that dialogue into that, that sphere in our life. And then if you can do that, you can be fulfilling one of the great principles of Judaism which King David spells out in the in the Psalms, which is to know God in all of your ways. Because if you think about it, that's actually like know God in all of my ways, even when I'm not doing the right thing. Do you do you, do you hear the thing? That's that's very that's very special now. He's go, oh wow. And believe me, this is this might sound simple, but this is this is the pathway To make breakthroughs in your life, this is this a very very big thought that I'm sharing with you right now. Okay. Now I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper still. Okay. And we'll start with another visual. See, imagine you make a uh, like you go to IKEA, right, and you make a couch, and then you finish the couch, and you've got a big bag of nuts and bolts left over. (laughs) Right. I like one or two. Got a big bag of nuts and bolts left over. And it's sort of like, okay, that couch might look good on the outside, (laughs) but in terms of sustainability, (laughs) I am not betting on that couch. That couch is gonna fall apart. So again, this is a lot of us. This is a large percentage of us we look good on the outside. Looks like, okay, you know, you know looks okay. You know. But there's a lot of pieces that are missing in order to make this a coherent construct, <laughs> right? In other words, this is another way of flat, this is another way of visualizing the, the hole in the bottom of the cup, right? So in this version, And I say that a lot of people fall into this version, where the couch looks fine on the outside, so you can't see the hole in the cup, is the point. You can't see the hole in the cup. This is why this is perhaps a a deeper um, analogy, right? And yet, you see, there's a big bag of screws, you know, left over. Okay, So, 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 so what, what is the couch, what is the big bag of leftover parts? What, 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 is, what does that stand for, in, in my mind anyway? So you've got, you've got your, your rationality, you've got your intellect, you've got your mind, but there's a whole nother realm to a person which is crucially, critically important, and that is your emotions. And I'll tell you something, if you go down a path and you're just bringing your mind down the path and you're not bringing your emotions along with your intellect, it's not going to work. Or it's at least not going to work in the way that it can work. You're not going to live the life that, that we can live, that we're meant to live. This is when when there's that, that that divine harmony is 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 existing in ourselves within ourselves and with us and the universe with us and God that harmony can exist and that harmony is this is this glorious state of being right where you're just like you wake up you open up your eyes you're like looking around and it's like wow So, but, but in order to, to, to get to that place, your intellect and your emotions, your heart and your mind, right, have to be together. So now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Especially as we learn Torah, because a lot of people, they make the mistake of thinking that, um, you know, because we're so, we're so rightly proud of our sages, that they're such great geniuses and they are such great geniuses and that gives us great pride that gives us great pride and we should have that pride however don't sell them short they didn't become the great people that they became purely because of intellect that that wasn't the the smartest person doesn't win in torah and the smartest person doesn't get the deepest understanding of the torah in torah there's there's you have to have a rectified personality. When you have the proper personality, then that allows you to extract the depths of the Torah. It's not an IQ game. It is not, okay? So again, but that means that your emotions are there with your intellect, right? So so how do you do it? How do you do it? And now I'm I'm gonna tell you something. It's gonna sound perhaps very, very simple. But I promise you what I'm telling you right now is not simple. It's it's very deep, but but thank God I can put it in a very simple way. You see, everything that everything that I'm telling you right now, okay? I'm I'm not giving you bread. I'm not giving you bread. I'm giving you dough. This is all dough. Don't think you're getting bread right now. This is dough. You have to take everything that I've told you and you have to put it inside your yourself, and you have to cook it. And then it's bread. Right now, this is not, these are just things that are going into your ears right now. You, you're not receiving the benefit of what I'm saying right now, yet. You might think you are, which is a problem, okay? You might think this, okay, I showed up, okay, you know, what, what else do you want from me? No, that's, you have to think about what I'm telling you, if you're, if you want to. I mean, it's up to you. And then that's the process of turning the dough into bread. And that's or, let's say it's simply, internalizing. But 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 just hearing the ideas is very different from internalizing the ideas. It just you have to understand that this is this is the process. Because what we're talking right now is this is not the currency of these words and these ideas right now, these are not ideas that are coming out at you. This is sort of like this is like 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 Life that's coming at you right now. Do you understand? We say we, we say Torah Chaim. The Torah is a Torah of life. This is life coming. Now you have to turn the life into something. Do you understand? Okay. So, so, so as part of the process, and here's the here's the deep part. Okay, that's also deep. But this is the, what I wanted to tell you. Once you learn what you learn. Okay? Now listen carefully. Once you learn what you learn, you yourself has to ask yourself the following question. You ready? How do I feel about what I just learned? How do I feel about what I just learned? See, what that's going to do is That's going to allow you to begin to marry your intellect with your emotions. That's going to allow you to begin to apply these ideas even in those spaces where you've decided are God-free zones. And that has to be a conversation that you have with yourself or you have with another person? How do I feel about what I just learned? Because if you, have you ever had conversations with people who give one word answers? How you doing? Or they just come back from a trip. I just went to New Zealand and then we stopped over in South Africa. We went on a safari and then we went to Paris. We, we went to the, the Louvre. How was it? Good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, I mean, did you have fun? Yeah. <laughs> All right, get out of here. You're a joker. I, I have no time for you. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like I need an answer. <laughs> I need an actual answer. You know what I mean? This is We're not having a conversation right now. So, you know, when you ask yourself, you learn something, how do I feel about that? The answer can't be good or okay or mm no. That, that that is not an acceptable answer. You have to actually give an answer, and then you have to respond to the answer that you give. And then you have to have a conversation about it. That's that's that is the process of tying together your heart and your mind, right? Your emotions and your intellect. Then they start to get tied together. And then you start to become a coherent human being. And then we can hold the blessings. And I'll tell you, one of the secrets, one of the secrets, really, if you want to get into the express lane of understanding, okay, One of the secrets is understanding the goodness of God. You must understand that God is good. You must understand that, because nothing is going to make sense to you in your life unless you accept that as a premise. And it doesn't mean that you have to understand the good, and it doesn't mean that the good has to feel good. But unless you're anchoring your premise, your soul and your mind, unless you're anchoring it to that understanding that God is good, you're not ultimately going anywhere. I mean, someone might, you might drag yourself over the finish line, but do you want to be dragged over the finish line? I mean, really? So there's an amazing piece in 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 Parshas that we just read, that it says Moshe Rabbeinu is, is 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 summarizing the last forty years. He spent the last forty years with the Jewish people, taking them out of Egypt, and 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 they're they're literally on the border of the Jordan River, about to enter into the Jordan River. About yeah, well actually, about to a lot of people, that's one of the less publicized miracles. The Jordan River split just like the Red Sea split and, but the Jordan River split in a really interesting way instead of splitting in half just the water just stood upright <laughs> can you imagine it was just like one tall tower of water right and the Jews crossed over so, but of course Moshe didn't go with them And so Moshe is summarizing all the lessons and mishaps and and great moments of the last 40 years. And he, he says something which is, for me, was like a little bit shocking to read. He says, today you're going, today you're crossing over the Jordan River. Today, can you imagine? Like the whole Torah is leading up to that one moment. And we've got like the word today right there. Like, wow, this is... Like, you read the word today, and you're there. You're standing there at that moment with, with the whole Jewish people about to enter into Israel. And he says then something which was like... I was like, what What are you doing? No, 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 don't say that. <laughs> he, says, he says, you're about to cross into Israel, which is inhabited by the children of giants. Now let's just flash back 40 years. Why did we wander in the desert for 40 years? There's not, oh, there are many interpretations. No! There's one one interpretation. It's not even an interpretation. It's very clear in the Torah. The spies came back and gave a bad report about the land of Israel and said that it was inhabited by children of giants with fortresses and that we were never going to beat them and... All of a sudden, the people of Israel felt that God was leading them toward their death. And God was like, What are you talking about? And of course, that was the first tish above, right? What are you talking about? You think that I I've, I've made this whole world, I brought you out of Egypt, I've done everything like this, I gave you the Torah, I'm making bread, which is manna, this is condensed light. That's what the Talmud says. It's condensed light. Mana? I'm like raining down like miraculous food for you? Because I'm just, because I want to kill you? That's what you think about me? You think that I'm bad? That I I mean bad for you? I can't do business with this generation? The whole generation's got to die out. 40 years. The whole generation's got to die out. I'm not... Again, when I tell you that the express lane to having a proper understanding, enlightenment, I'll even call it enlightenment. How about that, right? Or if you want to be woke, right? (laughs) You can't be woke if you don't know that God is good. All right? And you see it most clearly in this episode. Anyway, let's get back to today we're about to enter. So, so... So now, Moshe is telling the Jewish people, you're about to cross over today to a land filled with the children of giants. And you're thinking, don't do it! Don't say that! And you know what? He did say it. And if it's Moshe saying it on the last day of his life, you better believe he said it on purpose. So why did he say it? And and I'll tell you two beautiful things. Two beautiful things. Beautiful thing number one, the Jewish people were like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. No one panicked. No one was afraid. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. You had like two, three million people, whatever it was, and they were all like, okay, yeah. Children of Giants, got it. (laughs) Right? Like, you want to see growth, right? Like a report card? Like, you want to see growth? Is there better growth than that? It's amazing. And what was Moshe doing? The second beautiful thing, he was giving them this unbelievable opportunity to make a tikkun, to make a fixing, on a soul level where they were able to confront the same thing where they fell before, where we fell before, and we were able to get it right this next time. What an opportunity. What a, what a, what a beautiful thing. You know? Like, like, we can all take pride in that. But, but, but we, we have to be that second set of people and not that first set of people, right, in terms of our understanding of who God is. Okay, so so we said a, a lot of life lessons here, like these are. This is a lot of. You know, I heard Rabbi Green say one time that ninety nine percent of life is in your head. Right. That's that's. It's uh, an amazing idea. But here's the problem: a lot of people think that. God is an idea in my head, right? But you're an idea in God's head. <laughs> the idea of God is not in your head. <laughs> you're an idea in God's head. All right? But in terms of how we get through life, like the the partner thought that Rabbi Green would say is that, is that the most expensive, you know, my... Piece of real estate in the world. My my dad used to tell me when I was growing up that that they would measure real estate by the inch in in, in Hong Kong. Okay, and so what's the most expensive real estate in the entire world? So Rabbi Green would say the the area between your ears. <laughs> so 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 much of. See, I want to live in reality. You know, like I've shared with you before, there is no word for religion in Torah. Because religion is like, that's a bonus. Like, I'm a good person, I figured it out. Don't kick old ladies, I get it. Right? You know? Like, I get it. You don't have to explain it to me, I get it. You know, I'm not an animal, I understand, right? But, but it's, But it's... It, it's more than that there's more that's going on that 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 is immediately understandable about this world this world is actually a very if we really want to get to the depths of this world and what it means to be in this world it's 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 not obvious and you know again i mentioned rabbi green two times i'll, I'll mention one more time you know the 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 ancients, one of the, one of the fields that they were just great with um, were, were, were astronomy. Like, they really, like, tracking the paths of planets and stars and things like that, they were really good at that. Like, they really made, considering that they didn't have advanced instrumentation, they were really making very, very sharp um, observations. So So if you... You know, anyone who's kind of just looked at the sky sees that the sun rises from the east and it sets in the west. So anyone who's a thinking person would say that the sun revolves around the earth. Right? But now we know that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. So in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that this world is not obvious. (laughs) Obvious. <laughs> the most observable phenomenon in the world. The sun rises every single day from the west and it sets in, or from the east and sets in the west. Of course the sun revolves around the earth, except it doesn't. Well, guess what? There are a lot of other things that fall into that category. A lot of other things that fall into that category. And that's why we need the Torah. The Torah's the the guidebook that, that that allows us to to, to see it properly. Um, I heard Rabbi Mattesiahu Solomon, the Shalom, the former Mashkiach, uh, spiritual leader of uh, of the Lakewood Yeshiva, he said that um, his wife bought a blender and it came with a thirty-two page set of instructions. He said a blender comes with a thirty-two page set of instructions. Can you imagine the world like like? imagine the? Well, and that's what the Torah is. The, the Torah is the, the world set of instructions. So again, I just I just want to review, and we'll we'll finish up. The idea is that we we need to be we need to be coherent constructs. We need we need to to, to, to be like a, a unified entity. We we don't want to be that cup with a hole in the bottom. We don't want to be that couch that you don't want to sit on because you see in the bag it's missing a whole bag full of screws. We want to be together, but but how do we be together? How do we do it? How do we accomplish it? So I'm suggesting two tools that we can use. The first being, as Rapsadik says, that 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 even in those places where we're doing stuff that we feel as though is not quite the right thing yet to bring God into that conversation as well, so that we can know God in all of our ways, and to, to look into it and to subdivide those things that are difficult for us, so that we can, even if we're not doing the whole thing, maybe we can do a tiny piece of it, and that we can engage God in a conversation there so that we're not compartmentalizing or being schizophrenic, if you will. And the, second, and the second idea is that when we learn something, that we internalize it, that we go over the ideas so that they can become ours, right? And even more importantly, that we ask ourselves after we learn something, how do I feel about that? How do I feel about that? And in engaging in that dialogue, we can tie our emotions and our intellect together so that we can be whole and we can be as we say in the, the Zohar, a oneness paralleling a oneness to reveal the great oneness of God in the world. Amen. The following are some questions and answers. You, you, you ended your talk with a phrase that you just kind of threw out there. It's like the last word, in it it, 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 it it had a very strong reaction in me because I was not sure how, even how to interpret it. And yet it, it felt something going on there that I wanted to find out sure. or explore it. You said that the Zohar says that there's like a oneness that we can have. I believe is what you're saying. Yeah. That parallels the oneness, I guess, of everything. Yeah. But it's interesting. Even the word "parallels" is is interesting because I think: are we part of it? Are we separate from it? Are we? Are we? We're within it. We're within it. Are we? But are we a miniature version of it? Are we? It it was just a thought, and I just. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll tell you where I got that phrase from. It's it's from the. If you look at Nusach Sfard, um, uh, it's called the name of the section is called Kegavne, and we read it um, uh, erev Shabbos, um, right right after we sing. I think it's Lecha Dodi. I think that's that's the section where we say it. Nusach Ashkenaz doesn't have this section, and it's from the Zohar. Um, in in this art scroll book, it's on page three hundred and fifty six, and it's talking about, the, the phrase where uh, it's talking about is, is Shabbos. And it says that basically on Shabbos, um, well, you know what? It's pretty Kabbalistic. I, I probably will do a disservice quoting it. But it talks about a oneness below paralleling the oneness above. But the oneness below is engulfed simultaneously in the oneness above. So it gets, it gets pretty... <laughs> See, basically the idea is, what What are we trying to do? What is one of the things that we're trying to do. Is that, yeah, to align ourselves and... We're not... We're, God is already here. God already fills this dimension as much as he fills the highest dimensions. What we're trying to do is reveal the oneness of God. See, like everyone's had this, this experience. You take a shower... And the the, mirror is all fogged up from the steam, right? And then you take a washcloth or a towel or whatever it is, and you wipe it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, it's right there. So, So basically, there's a lot of concealment in this world. Materiality is, it sort of conceals the face of God, if you will. Not that God is physical, he doesn't have a face, but so to speak. And when we do mitzvahs, what we do is we harmonize all these competing energies in this world. And what happens is, it's like we sort of begin to reveal the fact that God is here also. But he's already here. But what we're trying to do is reveal his presence here. So it becomes clear. By the way, that's, that's why when we say, Amen, Yahishmei Rabbah, Mavarach, Le'olomu Lame'O Maya." that it says in the Gomorrah something very shocking, that if a person says it with all of their might, that they have the ability with that phrase to rip up negative decrees against themselves, even if 60 years, God forbid, of negativity has been decreed against a person, it can be ripped up by saying those words with kavana, with intention, and with volume. That's why if you... Come into Arshul, for instance. You'll see people just all of a sudden. It's like pretty quiet and everything like that. And you get up to that one line, everyone starts yelling. It's like, like what are they doing? That's what they're doing. <laughs> That's what they're doing. It's not a coincidence that that one line everyone is like really saying with gusto, to say the least. So, what is that? What is that? What's the power of that phrase? That God's name should be made great. That's what we're saying. God's name should be made great. Well, wait a second. Isn't God's name already great? Well, the thing is, is that there's concealment in this world. And what we're trying to do is get rid of the concealment. And then, so so it's not just a line. It's sort of like the mission statement of what we're trying to do. That's why it's such an important line. So we want to reveal the oneness. You know, I heard... Um, I, I, I heard Rabbi Manus Friedman say, say this idea in another way. A lot of people think that, let's say I'm holding a cookie, and I make a blessing over the cookie. So, so on the most basic level, what's going on right now? I'm, I'm acknowledging that this cookie comes from God, right? So, so you could say that, spiritually speaking, this cookie, this moment was a neutral moment, and now I'm infusing it with holiness, right? Right? That, that's what most people think. But if you want to go deeper, the whole idea is that God already fills the entire world, which means this cookie's already holy. <laughs> so so then what am I doing when I say a blessing? I'm revealing the fact that God exists in the entire world. In other words, I'm taking that, that towel and I'm wiping away the steam on the mirror, so to speak, and I'm revealing that God is here. So so, so that's what we're trying to do. Like, be, and, and it really... Of taps into something that I've thought about a lot, which is that so many people think that with my faith, oh, with my faith, I'm manufacturing the existence of God. God exists either way. <laughs> it's like it's very nice that you're working so hard, <laughs> but He's there either way, whether you believe in Him or not, He's still there. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Work expands to fill the available time. Thank you, thank you, yes, yes, thank you. So, this, what, what to do with free time? This is, a, this is a, somehow a, a question that's coming up a lot with different people um, that I've been talking about lately. And it's very important, especially people who are in creative fields. Um, they, it's, it's very important for us to be able to structure our time and so I really recommend having what we call a Seder, or like a schedule, a daily schedule, which means getting up at the same time every single day, even if you have nothing on the calendar, right? It's very important to rise up at the same time every single day. And um, I also recommend uh, that, that a person, when they, when they wake up, that they put on tefillin. I'm talking about men right now. And the reason why, why I say that is because uh, you have a sense of accomplishing something right away. And, and because the soul understands that it's here for a reason, even if that gets complicated. But the soul understands, the soul craves meaning and won't release us from, from its hold. It wants meaning. And and um, because it is a piece of God itself, so your soul itself knows the truth. So, so the thing is, is that when you start with an accomplishment, a spiritual accomplishment, you've fed your soul. So, so, so that's that's very important. So, I, I recommend that very strongly. Some people, even some people will put on tefillin, they'll put it on at some point during the day, maybe. But I'm talking about waking up and putting it on. So that that gives you a very solid foundation for starting the day. And then, again, to to try to schedule certain things. There there are certain volunteer things that a person can do and things like that. And it doesn't have to be a lot of things, right? But if they're set in place, the the mind and, and, more importantly, the soul can rest because it knows that it's not just going to meander through meaninglessness for the day. It has that, that thing to look forward to, and things like that. And then also, if, uh, a book that I recommend, um, I, maybe we've talked about it before, is called The, the War of Art. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing, amazing book. Um, and, uh, and it tells you, it tells creative professionals how to structure their day. And, and basically what it tells you is that you've got to be working on your art even if there's no deadline, even if there's no whatever it is, or if you're starting a business, you have to be doing it every single day. Um, and that even if you have no inspiration, zero inspiration, the very act of sitting down and being professional summons ideas to come to you. So, so the, he says, that he, that he makes this point very strongly in the book, that the difference between an amateur and a professional is an amateur... And we're not talking about talent right now you know, because you can have two talented people, but one's an amateur and the other's a professional. So what's the difference? An amateur um, waits for inspiration to come before they do the work. A professional shows up to work even if the inspiration isn't there. And what they do by just showing up to work and being professional and sitting at the desk, even if there's nothing to do, is they basically summon inspiration to come so so those are just some ideas of of what to do but but the headline there is you need a seder you need a schedule and I'll I'll tell you one more thing um, which is that you can't come up with a schedule for your day on the day itself because that's sort of like trying to build something on quicksand because once the day starts you already have to be on the conveyor belt you know what I mean um, because those early morning hours and those those first things that you do in the morning are, are disproportionately impactful of the day that you're going to have. I'm so yeah. sure this is a question or a statement. I'm, I'm interested in that topic. Yeah. And yet you all, you often hear the expression, that person has too much time on their hands. And right. I've always thought that that was so paradoxical because on right. the one hand, What could be better than all the time you think you need? Right. And and yet, the result of of that status quo seems to be people either not knowing what to do with themselves or doing mischievous, devilish things. Right. So how, how, I'm not 100% sure what I'm asking by bringing that up, but I'm... I'm interested yeah. in that paradox. Well, it all has to do with free choice. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, God gives us all of the tools mm-hmm. that we need, but then the missing ingredient is you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. right. So, so now, what are you going to do with that, you know? It's like, here's a crazy example, but it just pops into my head. When I first got married, we bought a cookbook, 365 recipes for chicken. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I thought, what a great book, you know? It's like... Because chicken is is like... I I saw I went into a chef's store one time and they had this quote on the wall. I'm paraphrasing, but that, 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 that... That to a chef, chicken is like a blank canvas for an artist. Like, you can put anything on chicken, right? And it will, you know, it's really like the ultimate medium, you know? So, anyway... I saw one, cinnamon chicken. And, and long story short, is that I think it called for like the smallest bit of cinnamon. And I think I put a tablespoon of cinnamon in it. And it was inedible. <laughs> I remember another time when I first discovered cooking, Right while well, I was still a bachelor, I was like, wow, chicken is amazing. I think I had just seen that quote. And I was like, you can take anything in the refrigerator, whatever's in there, just cut it up, put it with the chicken, and there it is. And I thought, even grapefruit. I'm going to squeeze like all this grapefruit juice on the chicken, inedible. <laughs> it was like sour, horrible sour, you know? So anyway, that's kind of like time. Um, meaning to say that uh, it's, the, it's, it's, it's this wonderful, like the most essential ingredient. But that's not the end of the story. Right, now now you enter into the picture. So that idea of you have too much time on your hands, that's really not true at no. all. No, and no, 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 it's, well, it can be true. It can be true. Because if a person doesn't know what to do with the time, right. time itself can be uh, paralyzing, right? right? Okay. Because now I have all the time in the world to make a decision and, did you, did you ever hear this expression? Which is totally true, by the way, as in my experience. Um, work expands, or or work expands to fill the time. Is that how it says, or is it the opposite? Or time expands to fill the work, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. In other words, if you've got a, a particular job and you've got an hour to do it, or ten hours to do it, mm-hmm. it will either take one hour or ten hours to do that that exact same job. Right. right? So. Um, so yeah, so they they also say if you want to get something done, give it give the job to a busy person because that person only has an hour for that job and so it will get done in that hour. So there is very much such a thing as too much time. Because simply put the person doesn't know what to do with it. That's why that goes back to what I was saying before. It's very important, especially for people in creative fields, to have a Seder. You need a schedule. You need a schedule. You have to wake up every single day at the same time. I wake up at 5.30 in the morning, whether I have anything to do that day or not, whether I have a job or not, just that's what it is, and, and I start the day. Okay, I'm not saying I'm always so productive, but at least I'm starting the day off right. And... Um, yeah. And, and I also recommend, if you can do it, I mean, it certainly took me years to get to this place, or if you can go to a morning mini. You know, you, you go and you see the same group of people, and there's something very healing about sort of plugging yourself into a community every single day. Because one of the things that it tells you, first of all, it gets you outside the house, which is very important. Second, it gets you around other people, and then you realize something. No one will ever verbalize this, but I'm going to verbalize it for you there are other people in the world other than me. (laughs) (laughs) Which should not, is an embarrassing revelation. (laughs) And should not be a shocking thought. And yet, sort of is. Because we are such internal creatures. Right? Especially the more artistic and creative you are, the more, the the downside of that is the more self-absorbed you are. Because that's the, it's, they're kind of the same thing. You have to be internal to be creative. But the problem is, is that then you forget to leave yourself because there's this sort of like G-force that's, that's, that's habitualized yourself to thinking in that way. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.